Every thought that has ever every thought that has ever been thought. Every thought that has ever been every thought that has ever been thought. Hi, I'm Matt Merrill Lowry, writer and editor of Thoughtscape Comics, and you're listening to the Thoughtscape Creators Interview Series, part of the Thoughtscape Comics Kickstarter taking place in January of 2023. If you are listening to this in January of 2023, please visit thoughtscape2023.com and consider backing the campaign. We have three issues worth of our acclaimed sci-fi anthology comic and much, much more available as rewards, including one-of-a-kind commissions, promotional posters, and other comics and books from Thoughtscape Comics contributors. Again, that's Thoughtscape2023.com, and be sure to scroll the entire page so you can see what all is available. We need your help to get this series up and running in a regular fashion, and we really appreciate you taking the time to check out the campaign and listen to these talks. I hope you enjoy this great talk I had with writer George Pendle, who's been helping me conceptualize the history and background of the Thoughtscape a bit, who wrote the hilarious front and back matter for issues number two and three, and who's been providing moral support for the entire project uh, since its inception. Hey, this is Matt. I'm talking with George Pendle, who has written the intro um, front and back matter, I guess, for Thoughtscape issues number two and three, and help me do a bunch of conceptualizing for the whole Thoughtscape universe and the history of things, um, and generally made it a more collaborative um, and possibly sane uh, effort for me. So, um, George, thanks for so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah. Uh, so, first, I was curious, when did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Yeah. Um, I wish there was a moment um, in which the kind of clouds parted and I, I realized, you know, that was my calling. But I, I, I must admit it was quite the opposite. Um, uh, I didn't have any great, you know, come to writing moment. Um, I have always loved reading. Uh, I always liked writing creatively. Uh, when I was at school, you know, I did like the school newspaper, you know, um, and made a little school satirical you know, a newspaper, which we used to call the toilet paper, which we'd, we'd print up and put in into, into the loos in our school. Uh, and that would have all the gossip from the school in it. Uh, but, but really, you know, it wasn't until I went to university, I studied English literature. And then I left and I realized I had an English literature degree and my choices uh, of employment were either poet or journalism of some sort, you know, if I was to keep my writing up, um, which I enjoyed. So, so I kind of stumbled into journalism that way. And uh, with journalism came, you know, the wish to write longer and longer things. Um, and, uh, and that's how I, I really got into writing books after that. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a completely, I guess you could say it's an organic process, but it was one born of uh, desperation rather than inspiration, I guess. Right. Right. That makes sense. When you started your schooling, where were you? You were in, this was in England, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was sent off to a boarding school at the age of eight, um, okay. which, which you think might give you, uh, you know, uh, plenty of uh, stories to draw on, but, um, and it probably has over the years, uh, but it's also given me, you know, severe PTSD uh, <laughs> dealing with it. Uh, in trying to describe my my boarding school that I went to first, which uh, which had the the name Orwell Park, which really should have, oh, wow. you know, warned my parents off that you know it was it was it, 1984 was a very close similarity. But it, it, if you can imagine, if you still if you have in your mind an idea of English 
uh, boarding schools are just like Hogwarts. Imagine Hogwarts without any of the magic and right. in which all the teachers are Snape. Uh, that's that's <laughs> the kind of, that that was what it, what it was. It was a very strange place to be. Um, and, you know, I had a miserable time. I was homesick because it was a boarding school. I, I wanted to get back home a lot. And all the teachers were, I don't know where they got them from, but they were borderline insane. I remember I was just, I was telling my daughter who goes to a nice progressive school in Washington, DC, where I live. I was telling her about this teacher who, Mr. Thornbury, um, who used to teach us Latin and he used to stand on our desks in front of us. He used to get up, stand on our desks and make us recite Latin verbs. And if we got them wrong, he would grab us by the hair and pull us up while we were reciting. And and I was just, you know, this is the kind of, you know, crucible in which I was founded. And the only place where I had, the only teacher who I liked or who rather who liked me uh, was the English teacher. And so that was really how I kind of went down and, you know, realized that my future would probably lie in writing. I thought if, if, if this English teacher is nice to me, then there's probably something about English, which, you know, um, which is, which is good to follow. Uh, and so it was through him that I, I learned all my, you know, I got reading, uh, you know, and, uh, and, that, you know, I guess if I was to trace, you know, any of my writing back, it would be to him. Interesting. And yeah, a little more Pink Floyd, the wall than uh, Harry the, Potter. The wall yeah. was, it was a, <laughs> uh, a seminal moment when we used to have a, a, a cassette tape of it, which we'd pass around as almost like contraband. It's like, how did yeah. they know? <laughs> how did they know it was so miserable? Um, you know, it was, it was a great, you know, solace to find that album when you're like 10 years old. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. That's pretty wild. It's I mean, having like, yeah, we adopted it so much over here, but I can't imagine being actually in that situation. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Uh, who, when you, I guess when you first got into reading or I mean, throughout, do you, who would you say are your influences or um, people you enjoyed reading the most? Well, you know, it was, I liked kind of like the B movies of, of fantasy and science fiction. So, so for some reason, I never got into Tolkien. I, 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 it might've been like that thing when you're young and you see a cover and you just don't like the cover. So you avoid it. <laughs> and for whatever right. reason, the Hobbit, it, there was a school bookshop where you were allowed to go in and a school library where you could go in and get books. And for whatever reason, I, I didn't take to Tolkien, but I took to these other fancy books called, it was the Dragonlance Chronicles. Um, and they were written by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, I think. And it was like a, a kind of Dungeons and Dragons spin-off, you know, I think it's called the Dragonlance Chronicles. And I can't remember anything about them, but the books were like Dragons of Autumn Twilight and Dragons of Spring Dawning. And and they had great covers, you know, which always had, you know, a warrior and a, a dwarf and a wizard, you know, on the cover. Um, and I remember just escaping into those uh, and really finding them, uh, you know, something in them that was just, you know, magical. Um, so that was kind of my fantasy kind of awakening. Uh, but then the science fiction, you know, I, I, I love this series, which I don't know if it's just a British series or not, but, um, it was called the stainless steel rat. And it was by this author, Harry Harrison. And it was all about this kind of futuristic kind of con man and rascal who's like kind of almost like James Bond, but in the future. Um, and he was always, you know, trying to rob banks in the future. And it just seemed like, you know, incredibly glamorous and funny um and, and i think as as with a lot of you know english sci-fi there's this kind of satirical bent to it you know throughout 
um, which, you know, the stainless steel rat, you know, he's this classic anti-hero who somehow, you know, goes from being a bank robber to becoming like president of the universe. Um, and so, so, you know, it was those kind of books, uh, which, which I really went for, you know, um, and which really, you know, and tied into that was of course the Dungeons and Dragons, um, like, uh, the monster manuals from Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, endless, uh, you know, hours spent flicking through, was it gods and demons or uh whatever they were and like you know learning every charisma score every dexterity score you know um even though you know we didn't have dungeons and dragons at my school it was (laughs) we just i I just read all the manuals i never actually got to play it uh until i was you know a few years older but i i I very much wanted to and it was that whole kind of universe the idea that there's a universe out there that you could like be part of is really you know um really got me exciting like a universe that wasn't where i was right you know right. um was was very uh, uh satisfying yeah i never i i'm not i haven't ended up being very into fantasy stuff as i grew up but the amount of time that we spent with those D manuals too is it's pretty funny to think about the impact that had i always think about the you know the comic book uh the handbook to the Marvel universe, which was a listing of all the characters and their abilities and everything. Uh, but that D and D stuff was definitely first. And we played a really, um, I think incorrect way <laughs> or version of D and D, uh, where one, the person who, uh, ran the game always won. Um, so I think, <laughs> I don't think it was right, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we were just immersed in that stuff. Um, yeah, so I mean, cool. I think I really think they're like the Encyclopedia Britannicas of our, right. you know, of our generation. You know, there's something about them that, uh, you know, even to this day, I could, you know, probably like, you know, give you the characteristics and the spells that could defeat a Watcher or something. You know, it's right. like, a, oh uh, so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. Was that also? we've talked before about 2080 and such mm. is that also when you were getting into that or was that a different point well uh, to begin with you know I, I was always into comics and um but you know it started off as the you know i hate to use the word but the juvenile comics like there was uh, britain has a long tradition of like weekly comics like the beano the dandy uh Wizard and chips you know core whoopee they, they, these are these kind of you know comics which are aimed at you know i don't know like five to 10 year olds mm-hmm. um, in which you have people like Dennis the Menace, not the American Dennis the Menace, the, the, the original, I, I like to think that the original Dennis the Menace, who is this kind of, uh, you know, anarchic character who, you know, is always causing trouble at school and getting into fights with, you know, looking back on it, probably very on PC, getting into fights with Walter yeah. the softy. Um, you know, there's the Bash Street kids who are, you know, again, getting into trouble at school. Getting into trouble at school was the, you know, the main right. thrust I mean, of most of these right. stories. Um, I think there was Lord Snooty and his chums, who was just a very rich person who would buy himself out of trouble. Um, you know, Minnie the Minx, who was like Dennis the Menace, but for girls. Um, and so I started on those. Uh, and uh, But it wasn't until I was about 10 or 11. Uh, I, no, I, I'm sorry, before I, I even met 2000 AD, I lived in a very small English town and there was one news agent there. Um, and every week they would, they would get one Marvel or DC comic in. Uh, and, and I would go to the, you know, I'd go and get my Beano, but I'd also go and get whatever Marvel or DC comic they'd have in it. It would be, you know, Superman, or Batman or X-Men. 
never sequential. So I'd always get the middle of a story and then I'd never know how it ended or wouldn't know how it started. But that was kind of my first, you know, oh, there's something else going on here. It was kind of, it was kind of great because you had to imagine what the story had been before and after. Right. Frustrating, right. but also it made you think about this. I remember like a Ghost Rider, um, Black Panther. I remember I, I, some of the some of the covers just as I'm sure they do for you, just sticking to my head. I remember there was a Black Panther with uh, him being lassoed by a, a clansman on a on a horse behind and just gripping at the at the noose and you know i, I didn't know anything about the kkk or, or about black panther but it was a very striking image um, yeah. and and that got it and then you know you mentioned i remember going out to a friend's house and they had a, a copy of 2000 ad and i just remember opening it and being kind of terrified by it yet also intrigued. It was like the most bloodthirsty comic I'd ever seen. It was, you know, one of the stories, it was, must have been a Judge Dredd story, and it was people being squashed flat by falling, overweight fatties, as they're known in the story, like, like these giant overweight creatures and like blood and guts everywhere. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? It's horrible. I must read some more. <laughs> and so at around 10 or so, 10 or 11, I, I started getting into 2000 AD and I never really looked back after that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's fun. it's funny how the stuff comes across or I guess came across on different uh sides of the ocean. Like it because we got I I feel like our 2080 exposure was all like uh essentially the stolen 2080 for RoboCop or, you know, right. taking the Judge Dredd influence or something or the, mm-hmm. yeah, or quite literally just stealing it. Um but, you know, getting our I guess our bloodthirsty satire kind of came through way more in our movies. Right. Um, you know, sort of, but very, I don't know, now that coming to 2080 later in life, it was like, oh, this is the source of so much of the stuff that I liked, but it was filtered through, um, you know, way more through movies than it was through comics um, at the time that yeah, I was that, growing that's, up. And, yeah, the crossover there. That's really interesting, yeah, because the British film industry at the time was, you know, non-existent pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, but certainly nothing that could do a sci-fi movie convincingly. Right. Um, and, you know, there was that lag when I was a kid. You'd have to wait a year for American films to get over to England. Um, you know, so it was always like, oh, God, you know, I've just seen the Ghostbusters trailer and now I have to wait a year for it to arrive. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, there was something about the comics, you know, as I mentioned, they're kind of satirical and... Uh, they did deal with, you know, my parents were, you know, uh, you know, middle class, conservative voting, you know, traditional kind of English middle class. And um, and there was something about 2000 AD, which, you know, they always satirized Thatcher and the, the 1980s and capitalism. And they, they'd take, you know, these what was going on at the present and just extrapolate them into like the craziest future. And it gave me my first kind of both political awareness and comic awareness, you know, because, yeah. you know, every, everybody's like, there's too much crime. We need more police on the street with, you know, and then you have judge dread who is, you know, uh, police judge and executioner all in one. And you're like, Oh, may- maybe this isn't a good idea to push this too far. I mean, he's a hero, but <laughs> yeah. do you want to be sent for 20 years to the cubes for, you know, littering? Uh, I'm not right. sure. You know. Yeah, that's funny. And I guess, I I mean, I guess with Alan Moore coming over and uh, Grant and those guys, like it, it started to come into American stuff, but it was, yeah, it's just a little more distilled, I guess, obviously with uh, 
coming through DC or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting because you know you can't argue with 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 Batman. <laughs> you can't argue yeah. with with the greats. Um, but you know, they 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 lack that satire of the present moment, and I think maybe that that's why they're so long lasting because they're not tied to you know present shifts and back and forth. Yeah. But they're also perhaps less agile. It seems sometimes than than you know something like 2018, which on it because it was a weekly, you know, would you'd get these kind of stories about whatever social you know uproar was happening at the time, um, you know, just spelt out to you in in the most ridiculous terms. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Alan Moore, you know, I, I guess I got to know him through 2018 through the Future Shocks, which I know you and I have talked about in the past, but yeah, these little sci-fi uh twilight zone-esque stories um which were standalone they'd be like six pages and they'd just give you the best little you know snippets of wonder or horror uh you know 2000 AD often went towards that kind of horror uh kind of end of things uh, of the comic spectrum um and that's where i first yeah i got into got into his stuff for sure yeah switching gears a little bit i was curious you so the your work has been um very i guess distinctive uh each book that you've put out feels like it's kind of in its own uh zone or wheelhouse um and i was curious how would you describe like your body of work and is there a good place for folks to um i guess uh, pick up the thread and see uh, what they think yeah it's 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 i'm afraid it's yeah it's it's not well if it's united by anything um it's i guess by biography you know by mm-hmm. by factual figures i i because i went from you know i started my career as a journalist you know i worked at the times in london um and uh and then i kept freelancing for many different publications but i always liked the fact that you'd have a story that even if it's fictional, you could hang it off real bones, you know, um, mm-hmm. and my foot, you know, I, and I went from writing pure nonfiction to writing, you know, invented nonfiction, <laughs> so to right. speak. Right. Um, and then just like, you know, ridiculous nonfiction or fictional nonfiction. Uh, you know, my first book was about uh, Jack Parsons, you know, a rocket scientist uh, in the 1930s in LA, who was also an occultist and devout follower of Alistair Crowley. So, what I liked about that was that it was an insane story, uh, but it was true. And, you know, it was, right. it was something beyond fiction. Uh, but I, you know, I delved into it and there was real, real flesh there. And I started looking and looking, I didn't have to make anything up. Uh, you know, my second yeah. book was about Millard Fillmore, the most forgotten president of every, you know, of every president there is. And uh, at the time I was fascinated by these biographies of, you know, John Adams and you know Hamilton at the time right. before the musical and and just thought well what if I just took one of the lesser known presidents and wrote this you know made up biography about him and turned him into the great man that all these other presidents and other great right. American figures are and then I wrote Death of Life which is you know the biography of death which is obviously you know uh, influenced by you know Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman and, and Douglas Adams and people like that 
Um, but but it was very much like how how do you use the biographical form in different ways? You know, you can use mm -hmm. it in a straight way for for a crazy story like Parsons, or use it in a in a really ridiculous way for a very straight person like like Millard Fillmore. <laughs> right. um, and so it was really if there's one thing, it's like playing around with that convention of like what is a real story? You know, how do you tell a biography? How do you tell of somebody's life? And I think that's that's kind of just a certain amount of my journalism kind of background. It's like I want there to be a truth beneath everything. <laughs> and right. Millard Fillmore, the, the story about him was based on his life. And and the idea behind Death of Life was really to like show how death had been perceived throughout the ages by different cultures. And how can you construct the figure of death into a coherent character if, you know, the, the Babylonians treat him one way and, you know, uh, the, uh, I don't know, the Christians treat him another way and, and yeah. so on and so forth, that figure. And so... They're pretty disparate, as you said. Um, I would encourage anybody who would care to pick up a coffee just to just to you know do a lucky dip. Um, but uh, you know, if you want to start off and then work your way through the the you know the variations of of a biography, start with with Strange Angel and then and then carry on. But um, yeah, it's 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 been quite a mix. My agent hates me for, for not sticking to one <laughs> one subject or one genre. I mean, it's more. I don't. I. I keep running up, I feel like against, um, especially in Kickstarter, the, you know, if I just wanted to put this, uh, you know, um, this certain thing on the cover and say that the comic was about this and write a comic about that, then you could probably um, really take off. But um, I've always had a trouble with, uh, you know, doing anything that doesn't truly engage me. So I feel right. like, it, it, you know, it, you have to, I guess your path sort of picks you and you sort of pick your path or something, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, but, I mean, what you've done, you know, with, you know, Thoughtscape, it's such a, a, an interesting mix of these different, you know, threads and influences and so on. I mean, did, when you started it, did you, did you imagine it going in this direction or, or has it just spun off in various spirals? You, you never thought it would. Yeah. <sighs> It's kind of spun off. I guess the first couple stories that I wrote were not, you know, intended to necessarily go together. And I just started recognizing the similarities if I just, you know, um, tied, if I, you know, threw an evil corporation into this thing, then I could tie these stories together. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's felt pretty organic. I think part of the fun of it, like the fun of collaborating with you on this, the fun of collaborating with the artists has been that like ideas sort of spawn out of, um, you know, me and any collaborator sort of engaging and seeing what comes out of it. You know, I've written, uh, there's a box with a little tentacle coming out of it on the cover of issue two. And that inspired me to write a whole story for issue three about what was in that box and that kind of thing. So I feel like I've been trying to um, follow the collaborative threads of things as mm -hmm. much as possible to kind of, um, I don't know, make it feel more alive and make it feel like it's not just uh, me, um, you know? Yeah, I guess which yeah. is makes it more makes it more engaging for me when it's not just me. Um, yeah. So, yes. No, I mean, when you were talking about, you know, what, what links my books together, I was just thinking about what links the Thoughtscape stories together. And I really think you came up with this brilliant frame of the Thoughtscape, which is both very specific 
you know, with your evil corporation mining the Thoughtscape, but it's also a kind of a story for for everything, right? The Thoughtscape. Yeah. It, it's a it's this kind of you know joint universal consciousness of of stories that we 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 have you know all around us, and and that's what it really attracted me that you have this you know corporation uh you know life tech kind of digging into it and, and exploiting it but it's also that it's there it's it's you know the thoughtscape is something we're all familiar with and you can draw any number of strands from yeah. to kind of you know further explore it. it it's a great idea cool yeah well thank you it's and yeah it's i mean it basically was born out of trying to find something similar to 2000 ad or twilight zone that was enough of a frame that it can hang together as a piece, but also disparate enough that it could include any type of story, um, which right. I think is like something I really admire about the Twilight Zone or Outer Limits, maybe to a slightly lesser degree. But uh, it's, yeah, I wanted that jumping off point, I guess, to be able to do anything. And it feels like, I guess, to your what you were saying about 2080 being able to respond to what's happening at the time. Um, like, especially if I could get this thing on a regular schedule, I, the idea of being all those stories that we either tell or tell ourselves if they're all available um, in the thoughtscape, it feels like it's a good way to speak to a lot of different things that are going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. so I was curious with the, uh, process wise, what, I guess, how, how do you, um, I feel like we're both in a similar space where we have a lot going on in our lives, but we want to be writing, um, and, uh, succeeding to different degrees, um, maybe by the day as to how much time we might spend thinking about stuff or <laughs> actually getting stuff down. But when you're working on a book versus when you're not, do you have a specific process or practice? You know, I, again, I wish I was more disciplined, uh, but rather like the way I got into writing, I still continue a kind of, you know, blind fumbling after, uh, after, the, <laughs> after yeah. the truth or whatever I'm searching for. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, you know, I, I go in fits and starts. I find that when writing, I, I get moments of enthusiasm, especially when, you know, a lot of my work, as I mentioned, is is kind of based on fact. And then I build out from that fact. Mm -hmm. um, and so finding that fact and, and, and then drawing out these little spirals from, you know, the fact that I've got, I can, you know, spend hours on that. And then I kind of wait and let that settle in and then go back to it. I mean, I, I, I do find research is a big, you know, big that, that, that that's that's how i spend most of my time you know trying to kind of you know find what i'm going to be writing about um you know even for something which is fictional like you know the death book or, or millet film or you know i, I need to get yep. some facts there to, to build off um and once i've got that i feel a lot more confident and i can structure my writing a lot more easily but it's kind of finding that skeleton um you know before i start fleshing it out that, that it's both a lot of fun, but also the hard work I find. Yeah. I mean, did you, yeah. what about yourself? How, how do you go about it? I mean, I think you said something that I don't feel like I've heard um, a lot of writers talk about, which is, or write about writing. Um, they're like grabbing the spark of enthusiasm while you've got it and kind of just writing it until it runs out. Um, hmm. It feels like, especially if you're not, 
writing full time or something. It's, I feel like when you've got it, you just hold on to it. And if you can maximize what you do at that, in that state, um, you can get a lot done. And then if you don't write for a couple of weeks, you don't have to beat yourself up. Uh, mm. I feel like, I feel like that's kind of the mode I've slipped into, even though I guess my optimum thing is to like get up and write or work on some piece of Thoughtscape stuff for an hour or two before I start working, working mm-hmm. um, or working to pay the bills, I guess rather. <laughs> but, uh, but it seems like, you know, um, so this, uh, that story that you helped me out with uh, the, the powers that be um, won the the journalist story uh, mm-hmm. that hopefully we'll see the light of day at some point. Like I'm pretty sure that that one I was just I grabbed a hold of that and adjusted my uh, day job schedule um, and just pushed a few things out that I had the luxury to be able to do so that I could just write that for like a couple of days because it was it was obviously there and it felt pretty fully formed and I just wanted to get it done. Um, yeah. So. No. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you do, you do whatever you can, I guess, when you're in that state where you don't have the the luxury of full-time writing this. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I I think, you know, anybody who's a writer can, you know, flagellate themselves, you know, in a million different ways (laughs) for like work that they haven't been doing or should be doing. Or I read that Marcel Proust wrote six hours every morning, you know, and then, then, you know, did nothing else. Or (laughs) you hear about all these ultra disciplined writers who who Mm -hmm. are doing this and you think, why am I not like that? But I, you know, it's, it's, it's a freedom to allow yourself to work at your own pace. Um, I I mean, it can be bad. You do have to force yourself at times, but, um, but as you say, I think when you, when you, you know, strike, when you when you hit oil, when you get that gusher, you've just got to go with it, and yeah. then until it runs out. Yeah, definitely, it's good. I think I've gotten better at not beating myself up over the course of the pandemic and uh-huh. um, taking it a little easier on myself. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like you said, I I feel like the writers are especially good at um, figuring out how to hate themselves. So. <laughs> punish themselves or want to punish themselves or whatever well it's all that imagination that you know if you're writing that you put you put into your own suffering you know it's it's like well i'm not i'm not gonna have this guy thrust out the airlock i'm gonna thrust myself out the airlock yes (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah 100 percent um cool i guess if you feel like you've got time for one more question sure yeah, yeah okay cool um so you've had an experience that I feel like most writers uh, probably dream of to some degree, at least in business terms of having your work adapted uh, to TV with strange angel. Um, and I was curious, just uh, you know, there's tons of tumult and stuff in Hollywood these days with, uh, with projects and um, for, though I hate saying it, IP acquisition and all that kind of business. Um, but I was just curious what your thoughts are on the experience. Yeah, well, you know, dreams, um, uh, are, you know, often don't work out quite how you imagine them to be. Right. <laughs> I mean, I no, I, I'm, 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 you know, I realize it was a ridiculous happenstance that, that Strange Angel got picked up and was actually made into something. I think thousands of books are, are picked up and hundreds get to production and then like, three or four actually make it to the finish line. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, I was constantly told, I, you know, I had an agent ad in Hollywood, just like, this is never going to happen. Don't worry. Just, you know, 
don't put any faith in it. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's not, right. nothing's going to happen. For, they're interested, but don't, you know, don't get it. And then it's somehow by magic, uh, you know, it kind of worked its way to the finish line. Um, and that was good, you know, I, but then I also realized, you know, uh, rather like with all writers, you know, you, you finish writing your book and you think that's the end of it. And then you have to kind of publicize it and get it out there. And, and you know, that that's writing is half the battle, it seems. Um, so with, you know, I, I wrote my book and it was picked up and bought by somebody and I thought, well, I'll, I'll be a part of this, you know, and, and they brought me on as a consultant, but there's very much a suspicion, I think, in Hollywood, unless you're a really big name, that they don't want the writer getting involved too much with it in case they <laughs> they have unpleasant thoughts that, uh, you know, that, that might clash with what your budget is or what you're planning to do. So I, I eventually kind of came to a, a kind of Zen place where I'm just like, I wrote the book and now they're taking it and doing whatever they want with it in their own way, you know, as, as I did by picking up the story of Parsons and, and running it, run, running with it in my own way. I'm sure it's not what other people wanted uh, you know, would have done with it or so on. Um, but, you know, it is that kind of, you, you know, you, you hold it tight and you hold it tight and you work on it and you work on it and then you just got to let it go and see what happens. And everybody was very nice. And, and I, I rather like, you know, what they did with it. I, I'm sorry, it only ran for two seasons. Um, but uh, but it was a it was an interesting experience, but it was very different to what I was expecting. Not not bad, not particularly good, but just different, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and you suddenly realize you're in a completely different industry writing for books or, or comics or whatever. I mean, you know, I found from working with you that writing for comics, totally different skill and writing for TV and, uh, you know, cinema, again, a different skill. Yes, we're all using the same tools, the same words, but, you know, you can't think that what you have in one field is going to you know, translate immediately to the other. So that was a real you know, uh, it was it was humbling, but it was also a learning experience, which I, I appreciated. I also wanted to ask, I guess, last, if you if there's anything you're working on currently that you wanted to talk about or where folks could uh, follow along with you social media wise, if you want to mention that. Well, I'm on Twitter for as long as it lasts. You know, as as the volcano erupts behind me, I, I'm I'm still there. I, I I'm not terribly good on social media, but I do post things that interest me. Um, and uh, so George Pendle at George Pendle, um, you can follow me. Uh, I'm, you know, the next big project. I well, I've been working on a, a secret history of Washington D.C., which is where I live, uh, or rather, not a secret history, but a secret geography. Um, which is something I started in the pandemic. And it's a little video, uh, a little kind of documentary almost of the, the back alleys of, of DC, uh, which is kind of like a, a mirror to the corridors of power. You have these, these back alleys in DC, which are, you know, have usually been the place of poverty and shootings and violence. Um, and so, and they're also strangely, I, I find alleyways terribly attractive. <laughs> so, so I've been going down filming those and finding the stories behind the alleyways and, and kind oh, of nice. doing this kind of, uh, kind of mirror geography to, to the, the Washington that most people know. Yeah. Um, and that's been great. Cause again, it's, it's like my other projects. It's like finding those little hidden nuggets that you can then draw out and unfold and you realize there's a whole world there where before there was just a footnote, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure, Matt. Thank you.
Thought that has ever been thought. Every thought that has ever been thought. Every thought that has ever been thought.